Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Time is of the essence in an emergency. The first 48 hours are crucial to solving a crime. How long would it take for your family to access important information if you're not there to give it to them? The ability to track locations, spending, who you spoke to, who you texted, any social media interactions, and more are vital information that can help any investigation. With Help You Find Me, you can easily create an If I Go Missing folder. You can use the template on Help You Find Me's website to get started. You can share it with friends and family and edit their permissions so they only see what they need to see. It takes about three minutes to create a fully secure file that is potentially life-saving. Your data is safe, encrypted, and protected. Only those you share it with can get access to it. At Writer Writer Pants on Fire, we have partnered with Help You Find Me to help you create your own digital secure If I Go Missing file. Go to helpyoufind.me forward slash writer and use the template to create your own file. We are here with Lisa Gardner, whose book, One Step Too Far. This book is a standalone, but it's using a character that you used before, your character of Frankie Elkin, who is a recovering alcoholic. She travels light and is obsessed with locating missing people whose cases have been forgotten, which I think is just particularly interesting in uh, the world that we're moving in today where so many people do have an interest in true crime and they might not necessarily have a background in it or not be like officially cops or in the justice system, but they're interested in being a part of it. Exactly, Mindy. Thank you very much. It's somewhat the basis for Frankie Elkin that there is this very real world trend of everyday people getting involved in cold cases. And part of that has to do with you know, if forensics, if there was the, you know, magical hair fiber or the smoking gun that was going to solve the case, that would have happened. If the police had the right interview, lead, suspects, it would have happened. So when Mm -hmm. you start getting into these cold cases and missing persons, often, well, you don't need an investigative background. You don't need to be a forensics expert, a detective, or a hacker. You get down to, as Frankie likes to put it, the right person asking the right questions at the right time. And yes, there's two books with Frankie Elkin, but they're pretty distinct because both just encapsulate these totally different scenarios of the very real world situations in the U.S. where there are a lot of people missing and no one's looking for them. Mm, it's so scary. I am particularly interested and drawn in by uh, Frankie's second book here, the one coming out uh, next week, One Step Too Far, because it focuses on something I personally am 
very interested in is people disappearing in state parks, national parks, wilderness areas. This happens a lot more than people realize. Yes. I live in the mountains of New Hampshire, so I happen to be a avid hiker. And it's actually a lot of my writing process. Every time I get stuck, you know, hit a hiking trail. So about two years ago, when I started reading about, again, there's like 1,600 people missing on national public lands, they call it. Mm-hmm. It's everything from the, the toddler that wandered away from the fire on a camping trip to, in the case of One Step Too Far, you have a young man, you know, doing his bachelor party who disappears in the woods. But all of this is handled by volunteers. When someone goes missing, there is a lot of attention in the short term. I mean, thousands of people will come in to volunteer and you'll get pilots and you'll get drones and you'll get dog teams and, and anything you could ever ask. But they ultimately have to return to their normal life. So three to six weeks later, that's it. If that was your four-year-old that yeah. were wandered away from the campfire, that was your son who disappeared on his bachelor party weekend. It's just, it's just it. And that was kind of staggering to me that we could have this huge gap of who is looking for these people, who is bringing closure to those families. And in my books, One Step Too Far, that's what Frankie Elkin is all about. She doesn't know how to solve her own problems, so she really likes to get involved in I solving other people's. I think that's wonderful, and it's going to appeal to so many mystery readers in general, but also maybe people that haven't necessarily dipped their toe into reading fiction. They're more into the true crime arena, but they themselves are really going to relate to Frankie and what she's doing, I think. What I love about Frankie is she's us. She's very real world based. She doesn't have any special skills. She's not kick-ass. She's not badass. She's not a computer hacker. There's nothing special really there. I mean, that's something she's very aware of. Mm -hmm. She's um, leading an anti-life. She's a recovering alcoholic. She has more regrets than belongings. She stays in one place, tries to have one job, tries to cement herself with one set of relationships. She drinks. She gets that society is telling her those are the things she should want and that that's the lifestyle she should aspire to. But Frankie's pretty blunt. Real world, the things she's supposed to want makes her drink. Hmm. If she travels, if she moves, if she does this very kind of different and bizarre sort of mission, she goes from town to town. She looks for the missing other people have forgotten. She listens. She learns she connects the dots. It keeps her sober. No one gets it, but it works for her. I love it. I love it particularly because often as a reader, but also as just a consumer in general, I have become, as I got older, very disillusioned with the uber man and the uber woman yeah they can do anything they can get shot five times and still have sex yeah. and you know they're they're fine and i'm just like no they're not they're bleeding out but yes i get yeah. so frustrated watching people that aren't real people uh people that are functioning just at a higher level either physically or mentally than the rest of us because i can't relate like you're saying i can't put myself in their shoes because they're not human in many ways. So I find it so refreshing that Frankie 
really is someone living on the outer edges of life and she's not leading that traditional life and she's not buying into some of what other people would claim is happiness. Yeah. And she's not super powered. She's really a lot of fun to write in my writing career. My previous bestselling novelists, I've had, you know, the FBI serial killer profilers. I've had, you know, the urban Boston detective. I've even had this fabulous vigilante, Flora Dane, who her key to survival is knowing how to kill you in more ways than Sunday. Frankie mm-hmm. is none of those things. She's an excellent proxy for us. And she's mm-hmm. a challenge because of that very reason. So in her case, she's following missing persons boards online. She's reading articles in the newspaper. And that's what brings her to Wyoming in one step too far. This young man went missing several years ago. His mother is dying of cancer. Her dying wish is to be buried next to her son. So here's the father, the husband kind of, all right, this is it. And this we're going to have this final push into the wilderness and we're going to find him. And he's angry and he's determined. And then you have the friends who were last with Timothy O'Day when he disappeared and they're guilt stricken and remorseful and kind of hangdog. And then you got the experts, Mm -hmm. the search and rescue person, a Bigfoot hunter, which turns out they know a lot more than you think. And then Frankie, who reads an article in paper and is like, I solve missing persons cases. I can do seven weeks in the wilderness of Wyoming within two hours is really sorry she ever thought that. <laughs> Just that she really does not like hiking and camping. And it kind of occurs to her halfway up a mountain that she's not enjoying at all that what the hell? There's no neighbors to interview. There's no yeah. witnesses to find. I mean, why was I ever thinking I could do this? But of course, this thing's in rubble. And I love that when I go to write the books, when I go to think about it, it's like, okay, you and me, we're sitting at home right now. What would we do? I mean, we have only the resources available to us as everyday average people. What would you do? Frankie's ingeniousness, ability to listen, learn, empathy. And I think you hit on something that I want to talk about a little bit more because it's such a rich area in fiction. All of the different conflicting emotions that revolve around a missing persons case. You mentioned the people that Timothy O'Day was with when he disappeared. They have guilt. You've got the mother who's like, I just need to know what happened. And I have a small window in which I get my answers and the dad who is angry. And you've got professionals that probably have an intense amount of frustration and volunteers who are putting themselves out on the line. There's so many different relationships and avenues to develop emotions within your story. So I kind of classified one step too far when I was writing it as my official Agatha Christie's, and then there were none, goes for a hike. (laughs) I love it. And it was fun for me because Frankie, we quickly established, she's not a hiker. She's used to inner city urban environments where, you know, minorities, the disenfranchised have been left alone and no one's looking for them. This is her first true, really wilderness remote experience. So she starts to kind of reflect upon okay, I'm now in the woods. I have established now I hate hiking and I don't actually like the woods. What do I bring to the table? How do I help this? You know, the starting to understand that anything is a human experience. Mm -hmm. And this party of 
eight, this group of eight, which she starts to observe their group, but they're not a group. You got kind of two leaders over here. You got three hikers over there, uh, the groomsmen, and then you got like her and the other two kind of paraprofessionals over here. We're going to have to make this work. And that's kind of Frankie's superpowers. She's a loner, but she's a people person. Again, she's not there to just uh, kick ass and take names. She's trying to put the pieces together. So she talks, she listens, she learns. And as things continue to go very, very sideways and bad things start to happen, she is the first to really clue in if we're ever going to make out of this alive, we're going to have to become a true group. This group that's not a group is not getting out of the wilderness anytime soon. (laughs) And I love that you tackled that, but also that you yourself are an avid hiker. I am as well. I've always been an outdoors person. Um, one of my recent books is actually a YA survival story about a girl um, lost in the Smoky Mountains by herself. And when I was writing it, first of all, I was cursing myself because it's literally one person alone for 98% of the book. Oh, and that's I was so like, hard. Yeah, that's Oh my hard. God, yeah. Every time I sat down to write, I was like, you idiot. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> And I love that I have been in situations where not, I wouldn't say I was lost, but I was uh, not prepared and in the dark and not having overnight gear or lights and in a national forest, which aren't really very well maintained. I've been in situations with weather and storms where I was like, oh, this could actually be really bad. I was in Maui this past December when the Kona storm went through and there were landslides. When you're in nature, it's like nature doesn't care your gender, your income, what you look like, who you are, whether you're important, whether you're not. It's going to kill you regardless if you are not either bonding with someone else and helping each other get through or extremely capable. What I love about Frankie in the course of One Step Too Far, she's in this environment that's not her. She's the fish out of water. She's trying to learn. Frankie's superpower is listening. And I, I think she struck a chord with readers and reviewers because I think at some fundamental level, all of us recognize we all want to be heard, but no one knows how to listen. But at a certain point, it becomes this ongoing debate as you get to a pretty severe survival situation, which you're talking about. Food is gone, weather's gone bad, someone's injured, someone else is injured. You know, what the hell are we going to do? What is survival? Is it being tough enough? Is it being the biggest badass present? Because there are some in the group that will tell you, yeah, I'm going to make it through this because I'm the biggest tough ass in the world. But Frankie's kind of argument to all this, it's adaptability. I don't know any of this and I'm not even particularly tough and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I can continue to adapt, adapt, adapt and think of, okay, solution A, solution B. Okay, now I'm on solution X, Y, Z. I love that because I think there's a parable in that for all of us. I think a lot of us have spent the past two years of what the hell does it take to get through it? Is it being mentally tougher? Is it being more resilient? Is it being this? Is it being that? And I think Frankie's I mean, speaking for her as a character, she's like, I'm not any of those things. I just keep listening, learning, adapting. And somehow I have faith this is going to get me through these woods. We live in a world where everyone is looking for that 
I don't even know if it's 15 minutes of fame anymore. I think it's more like 15 seconds and you have to be screaming to get the attention and you have to be constantly fighting to keep any number of eyes on you. And it is uh, almost impossible. The actual listening, very few people do. I had an interesting guest on my blog a couple of weeks ago, an author who wrote a guest post and it was titled Introversion is My Superpower. I thought it was wonderful because she was talking about how she, not an outgoing person, she's not dancing on TikTok. She's not doing all of the things that you're supposed to do to gain attention. And she's like, I listen and I observe. And that's why I'm a good writer. And that is my goal is to be a good writer, not to be a good TikToker. The other thing, there's a little bit of backlash and I think we're getting aware of it, but we maybe can't get off the treadmill. It's not that Frankie doesn't do social media, because if you want to check boards for missing people and follow some of these cases, you need to. But essentially, her issue with life is somewhat the social media day and age, where we are surrounded by images that tell us this is how your life should look. This is what should make you happy. And I think one of the reasons readers and reviewers have fallen in love with her is she's already like, yeah, I tried the norms. I tried to do what everyone tells me I should do. I tried to do the Instagram post, the Facebook. All it did was make me drink. If I do this, if I go from town to town, if I just keep moving, if I solve other people's problems, which I know is a cop out, on some level I get, I should probably solve my own. But- At the moment, solving other people's problems, (laughs) that I am capable of. I mean, I think she recognizes she actually really doesn't know yet how to solve her own. But doing this is giving her purpose. It's giving her momentum. It is keeping her sober. But it's a harder life. She is the outsider in this group. You know, the bachelor party, the father, I mean, everyone else has some kind of connection to something She's connected to nothing and it makes her both powerful and haunted and compelling. Create beautiful books with Vellum. Create eBooks for every platform with Vellum, Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books, and more. Each specialized file will guide readers to buy your next book in their store of choice. For print, choose your trim size and Vellum does the rest, giving you a professional result. Vellum 3.0 features 24 styles with 16 all-new designs. Each one allows for multiple configurations, giving you a new world of options for your books. Add a rich background behind the beginning of every chapter. You can even set the mood with white text on a dark background. Vellum comes with six illustrated backgrounds ready to use in your book, as well as a custom option where you provide your own. Also included in Vellum 3.0, new options for fonts, TikTok for social media, size control for custom ornamental breaks, and new trim sizes for your print books. Vellum. Create beautiful books. PubSite is the new, easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 50, 
PubSite gives you the tools to build, design, and update your website pain-free. Build your site with a 14-day free trial. PubSite is easy to use. You can set up a simple site within a couple of hours, and when you're ready, enhance with features like a blog, photo gallery, book tour calendar, mailing list sign-up, social media feeds, and more. Too busy to build your own site? Have a PubSite expert build your site for a small fee. PubSite is used by authors such as Tom Clancy, Robin Cook, and Janet Daly. Visit PubSite.com to get started now. Experience Love in Times of War, a musical novella by Beck Norman and James Keith Norman that follows the story of a pregnant young woman who has lost her lover to war and sets out to raise her child in a peaceful life until history repeats itself. Love in Times of War is a remarkable concept album that consists of 14 riveting spoken word narrations that alternate with emotionally charged instrumentals that complement and evolve this timeless, proudly romantic story to its fateful conclusion. Narrated by Beck Norman, with music by James Keith Norman, and a special appearance by Stephen Fry, there is no listening experience quite like Love in Times of War. Find Love in Times of War on Spotify and Apple Music. You mentioned something earlier that I want to touch back on because it was something that I wanted to bring up with you. So I'm thrilled that you actually opened the door. You talked about a Bigfoot hunter. Like I said, I have for various reasons, mostly because I am a hiker. And so I am aware of the amount of missing people in public lands. It is a very real thing people don't necessarily know a lot about. And when you wander into those mysteries and the wilderness mysteries and things like that, one of the very first things you're going to bump into is Bigfoot theories. One of the main cornerstones for missing people in public lands and in wilderness areas is a show and a series of books called Missing 411. I'm sure you've probably somewhat familiar with it, but it does focus on assuming that either Bigfoot or aliens are responsible for all of these disappearances. So, you know, I always thought it was like mildly amusing, but I actually bought a Missing 411 book that was about my area. And I live in Ohio and I am near a designated wilderness area. It's not necessarily a, a park or anything like that, but it's you know wilderness area. And there was a case in the 30s of a little boy that disappeared like five miles from me. And and I was like, I got so freaked out. I, will, I, I had to give the book away. I was like, I can't have this in my house. <laughs> like, it scared me. And so I think it's really interesting because I was a little bit like poo-poo about all these theories. And I'm not saying that I think Bigfoot is responsible. But what I'm saying is, that once I started reading these cases, it was amazing to me, minus the end solution that it's Bigfoot, how much information and how capable many of these researchers are. And and that's really the word. So one of the things I love when I go to research something. So, I mean, I'm an avid hiker. And then I'd read this article about all these people that go missing, no one's looking for. And I'm like, there's a story there. And then when I started delving into it deeper, one of the kind of crazy real life things is the stuff you didn't know you didn't know. There's not even a national database and all the people that have gone missing on our public lands, which is staggering itself. And in fact, the best source of data 
comes from the North American Bigfoot Association. That's kind of crazy. Active engage of mapping disappearances because anomalies have an interest to them where a lot of people go missing. Maybe that's a sign of activity. But the other thing too in missing persons cases, and this again, this is the real world. They're hikers, they're outdoors people. People were into looking for Bigfoot and Yetis. They're out. They know their mountains. And when people go missing, they are often some of the first to step forward and to volunteer their time, to be guides. And there's several prominent cases in the Olympic Peninsula where they're still, it is the Bigfoot Society that's frankly, they're the ones who are still looking for these people. No one else is, but they are. And and this kind of very legitimate role, I mean, I could not help but bring it to the table. So in one step too far, in addition to the father, the grieving groomsman, and the search dog handler, and the search dog Daisy, whom we got to talk about because we both love dogs, um, Bob the Bigfoot Hunter. It's like, I didn't even know I needed a Bigfoot Hunter as a character. But as I, you know, I'm starting to research this book, I'm like, oh, yeah, and the team must include a Bigfoot Hunter. Crazy, but it's true. And, and it's something that when I ran across it as well, because like you, I sniffed it out and I was like, man, there's stories here. And I ended up digging around a little bit. But like I said, there was one just way too close to my house and I got way too scared. And I was like, because I run at night and I run in the morning and I hike. And I was just like, I can't, I, I can't do this. But yeah, it is interesting to me. And again, you have those people that are on the fringes of society, but they're out there doing that work. So you mentioned Daisy. Of course, I want to go back to that. I'm a dog person. I've got my Dalmatian Gus. He's actually sitting on my feet right now. I mean, I don't know about you, but I will forever be scarred by, you know, Old Yeller and uh, where the red fern grows. So as an author, when you go into writing a dog, what are your uh, thoughts and feelings on that? I'm a huge animal lover in general, particularly dogs. And I've had cats for most of my life and horses. And I do think they make anything better. Anything you're experiencing, a pet makes it better. And I am fascinated by working canines the ways that dogs can sense, do, feel things that are far beyond our experience. I had the opportunity 10 years ago or so to visit the body farm, and it just happened that there was a search and rescue team, canine team there. They were looking for human remains to work on their cadaver recovery because you're not really allowed to bury body parts in your backyard, it turns out. And just talking to them and the training and the cases that what dogs can find, what dogs can do, having forensic anthropologists there saying, oh, forget all the science in my lab. Your best chance of finding human remains is a dog's nose. And I just love that concept. So of course, if you're doing a search and rescue team in the mountains, as such as One Step Too Far, you have to have a dog. And one of the things I love about One Step Too Far is Daisy really is the star. I mean, the group actually acknowledges this up front. They have this rugged mountain guide, Nemeth, who's a local legend, and he is not just from the mountains, he is of the mountains. And even Nemeth is like, if we are successful in this mission, it will be because of Daisy the dog. It will not be us. Humans, we're not actually very good at hide and seek at all. I run with my dog. My doggy comes with me everywhere and we we run together and I have the ability. I take him with me on hikes and I always just, you, you really said it. Everything is better with your animals with you. 
And Daisy's based on a real story. When I was working with this cadaver dog team, they talked about, they had all the purebreds, the German Shepherd. Purely coincidentally, they, they were somewhere in South America, in Puerto Rico, working a mudslide, a rubble pile, and they adopted a stray dog who was just clearly starving. Brought her home um, to be a pet. She became their by far best search dog. Just the drive to work, the desire to please. It was actually kind of funny to them because they were trying to keep her separate. Like, you were pets. This is our work. And she just wouldn't stay a pet. She kept intruding into the work exercises and training until they finally started to realize that's really what she wanted to do. Last thing, why don't you let listeners know where they can find you online and where they can get the book, One Step Too Far? One Step Too Far will be available any place books are sold. You can find me on lisagardner.com, on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Lisa Gardner, BKS for books. Vellum, it just works. Best-selling indie author Alex Lydell, whose book Enemy Contact, an enemies to lovers romantic suspense, hit number 25 in the Amazon paid Kindle store, has this to say about Vellum. There are always a ton of hangups in the publishing process, from the printer running out of ink at just the wrong moment to Amazon rejecting margins. But Vellum has been one program I can depend on. It formats my manuscripts quickly, professionally, and most importantly, in a way that never gets rejected by any online retailers. Visit www.trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. That's trivellum.com forward slash pants. Vellum. It just works. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.